Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamp, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 362 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by former heavyweight world title challenger, my good friend, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing this week, my man? I'm doing good, my man. How about you? Always good when speaking with you, brother. That is the truth. Going to dive straight into the review part of the show. There was a hell of a lot to go over from last week, so let's dive straight into it. Um, Friday last week, the 16th of September at the Montreal Casino in Quebec, Canada. It was live on ESPN+. Um, one fight to mention on the undercard. Stephen Butler with a good win. He's now 31-3 and three with a draw. A TKO in round two against Mark the Bazooka DeLuca, who's now 28-4. and four, Former victim of Kell Brook. That one was for the North American Boxing Federation middleweight title, the NABF title. And the main event... Arslanbek Makhmadov, now 15-0. He goes the distance for the very first time in his career against Carlos Takam over 10 rounds there. Takam now 39-7 with a draw. It was for the NABF and the NABA heavyweight titles, along with the WBC silver heavyweight title. Takam down in round one and round seven. I did watch the fight. I don't think you did, Eddie, so I'm going to roll straight into what I saw. Round one, obviously, Takam down in the first 20 seconds. We were thinking, oh, dear, oh, dear. What has happened here? (laughs) Um, You know, he he basically took a good shot, and he was trapped in the corner, struggling to defend himself and struggling to keep Makhmadov, this big powerhouse, off of him. So he very smartly decided to take a knee. He wasn't really hurt, he took the knee, he voluntarily took the knee, and he decided to lose that round 10-8, just to pretty much get through that moment where he really lost control. Um, And (laughs) I've wrote in my notes that he knew that this was very unlikely going to be going to the scorecards anyway, so it wouldn't really matter that he lost 10-8. Well... In the end, it kind of did. But anyway, round two, Takam landed some lovely, nice, um, some lovely, uh, nice left hooks. Makhmadov was very upright. His chin was his chin was um, hung out to dry at times. The stance as well of Makhmadov kind of reminds me of David Price, which I didn't really like to see. Uh, round three, Takam was making Makhmadov walk into numerous big right hooks. Makhmadov. Looked very clumsy, again, a la David Price. Round 4, 5, and 6 were arguably rounds for Carlos Takam. He was possibly ahead um, on the cards, I felt, in my book. Um, Round 7, Takam was, I felt, well on the way to winning the round. He was having a great round, actually, and then... um, he did at some point start to kind of put a dent in Makhmadov, I felt, and that's when he ended up missing with a shot, and momentarily he got caught with both of his arms through the ropes, and he he kind of spun back around quickly, and as he spun back around, he walked straight into a chopping right hand. Um, it was a little bit lucky, to be totally honest, um, from Makhmadov, because 
like I say, Takam just spun around, boom. Um, and yeah, Takam goes down, loses another 10-8 round. And it was the last punch of the round. So Takam went straight back to his corner. Um, but yeah, was quite unlucky really because he was on the way to, to to winning that seventh round. Round eight, I felt was a Takam, uh, Takam round. Round nine, I gave to Makhmadov. Round ten, Makhmadov walked into a massive overhand right early in the round. Takam, for me, won that round as well. Makhmadov... Uh, like we say, went the distance for the first time in 15 fights. He was 14 and over 14 KOs. He looked so beatable, though. Um, you know, he ended up, like I say, getting it in the end on the cards. 96-92 twice and 97-91. Really bad scorecards, I felt. Um, I haven't tallied it up, but, I mean, God, Takam. I think... Just about, I might have had it probably about a draw, or I might have had Takam nicking it by about a round. Um, you know, too wide on the cards for me. And those knockdown rounds, I think, were pivotal. And I felt that even though he won, we we kind of saw Makhmadov get a little bit exposed, maybe. And I'd like to see him, it would be a fun fight, I'd like to see him in with Big Bang Zilly Zhang. That one would be interesting between the two fighters uh doubt we're gonna see it it doesn't really make much sense but i like fights sometimes that don't make any sense and that's sometimes the best fights that can be made um moving out now to this one it was also on the friday night at york hall bethnal green london the mecca of boxing um denzel bentley 17 and 1 with a draw a tko in round four against marcus morrison who's now 25 and 6 morrison cut above the right eye it was a defense there of bentley's British middleweight title. Um, yeah, I mean, I was quite impressed with Bentley. I really was quite impressed with Bentley. Because um, I expected, and I think I said it on last week's show, I expected Denzel Bentley to win on points. I expected the fight definitely to go into the second half, and I thought it was going to probably go the distance. Um, Morrison did have a couple moments, I think, in round one and two, but other than that, Bentley really impressed me, and he becomes only the second man to get the stoppage over Morrison. Um, Bentley is exciting. I think there's some big fights available for him domestically. As for Morrison, a little bit gutted, really, because, you know, like I said, I've never really rated him too highly, but I'm just, I don't know what it is. I just feel a bit sorry for him, to be honest. I don't think he's had the greatest of times recently. I mean, he lost every round to Chris Eubank Jr., then got knocked out by Zach Parker, then gets knocked out by Denzel Bentley. Perhaps he's looking retirement dead in the face. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's, I've never rated him, but I don't think he's that awful. I just think they keep throwing him to the wolves a little bit, really. Um, I remember, I think he was the guy that went on the road to Italy and scored a big upset win, and I was so happy for him that night, but I think that's going to be the biggest night and the best night of his career from his point of view. Um, what else did we have on the undercard? We had Ellis Zorro move to 15-0, and 0, a points win over eight rounds against Dex Spellman. Dex Spellman was down in round four. He's now 18-6. and six. Um, I really enjoyed this fight, to be honest with you. Um, I think Zorro was the more skilled boxer. Spellman, though, does, you know, does have that dog in him. And it can come out if it's needed. And if he's trailing in a fight, then you'll be sure to see it. Um, Zorro was racking up the rounds early on. And Spellman did rally back. And he did turn it into a dogfight. And Zorro's face was a 
bloody mess. He did weather the storm, and he did finish the fight fairly strong, and he answered a lot of questions, I felt. I think Zorro's a good addition to the super talented domestic scene at light heavyweight. Spellman is somewhat of a domestic gatekeeper, even though it's a little bit harsh. But yeah, Zorro passed that test, I felt, and um, yeah, had to answer some questions, had to come through some some um, some torrid times in the fight. Like I say, his face was all battered and bruised within one round at one point, and he came for it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see him again. Um, elsewhere on the undercard, we had a huge upset. Frank Arnold, now 9-1 and one with a draw. He was knocked out by the massive underdog, the journeyman, really, Brian Morena, who's now 12-30 and 30 with a draw. Arnold down... Um, heavily in round three, and then I think he was TKO'd in the in the round after that. I believe Morena was a ten to one underdog, and that one was just for him to win, not to actually knock his opponent out. So the odds on that would have been absolutely off the charts. That would have been crazy if you backed that one. Um, <laughs> no one saw it coming, of course. Um, that's about it, really, for that one. Moving out now to the Emperor's Palace in Kempton Park, South Africa. Over here, this one was on the Saturday night. We had Kevin Lorena, now 28-1. and one, An expected unanimous decision over 12 rounds against the teak-tough Marius Wack, who's now 36-9. and nine. It was for the IBO Intercontinental Heavyweight title. Um, complete shutout on two cards for Lorena, and the other card, 118-110. So very wide in the end, it would suggest for Lorena. I didn't see the fight. Moving out now to the Bolton Whites Hotel in Lancashire, United Kingdom. This one was live on Channel 5. Good fight, really, between Gavin Gwynn and, and uh, Craig Woodruff. Um, it was for the British lightweight title. Gwynn cut above the left eye in the 11th round. Woodruff was a massive underdog because you take one look at his record, and it was 12-6 and six going in, um, and you kind of think... Nah, you know, like, he's he's probably not going to beat Gavin Gwynn. But a lot of insiders were saying, hey, this is a really, really close fight here. Do not write Woodruff off. And they were right to say that. It ended in a majority draw. Two judges having it 114-114 and uh, Terry O'Connor 116-113 to Gavin Gwynn. So a really good fight, very evenly matched, and the scorecards prove that. Um, yeah, so 15-2 and two with a draw, Gavin Gwynn, and Craig Woodruff 12-6 and six with a draw. On the undercard, Lyndon Arthur with a TKO win in the sixth round against Walter Sequeira, former opponent of Anthony Yard, now 25-10 and 10 with a draw. I always expected this one to go into the second half. Um, I thought it could have even gone points because it was only an eight-rounder, but yeah, Lyndon Arthur gets the stoppage in the end. Friend of the show now 20-1. and one. Uh, Elsewhere on the undercard, I think he was a late addition to the card, if I'm not mistaken, but Troy Williamson now 19-0 and 0 with a draw, a TKO in round six against David Benitez, who's now 8-8. Eight and eight. He's corner through the towel in, in round six. Um... Troy Williamson off the back of that, it seems like he's going to be fighting friend of the show, Josh Kelly. I think they're talking about December somewhere in the Northeast. No real date, 100% now down just yet for it, but it's going to be a great all-domestic fight there and an all-Northeast fight there, really. So that's going to be really exciting for later in the year, just before Christmas. Uh, moving out now to the big one. It happened, of course, at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. Um, just to confirm Eddie before we get onto this card you didn't see any of the action that I mentioned before you didn't see Makhmadov and Takam obviously you didn't see anything in the UK I'm assuming not anything in uh, 
UK, but uh, I saw a few of the fights on here on this card, but reception was bad. It was hard for me to actually watch more than a few seconds here and there. So, but um, but I did watch it and I did my best, so I can give some kind of analysis to, to what happened. Okay, but you didn't see the Takam fight from Friday night, did you? I'm assuming no. No, no, okay. no, no. I, I didn't. I didn't. I missed it. Okay, I will proceed then with the T-Mobile Arena Las Vegas card. I'll come to you in a second, Eddie. Going to start with the undercard. Um, let's start with this one here. A KO winning round five for Mark Castro. Now 8-0. and uh, A win there against Kevin Mendoza, who's now 7-2 and with two draws. Diego Pacheco now 16-0. and A TKO in round five against Enrique Colazo, who's now 16 and free with a draw. That one was for the WBC United States Super Middleweight title. Colazo down, um, I think, prior to the stoppage. I can't remember exactly now. Um, Ali Akhmadov with a win as well. He's now 19 and 1. He completely pitched a shutout on all three judges' scorecards against Gabe Rosado, who racks up his 16th loss. He's now 26 and 16 with a draw. It was for the IBF North American and WBC Silver Super Middleweight titles. Um, Good win for Ali Akhmadov, because I said there could be a few demons there from being knocked out by Carlos Gongora, and I think someone with the experience of uh, of Gabe Rosado and someone, I guess, with that kind of don't-care attitude. Like, you're not going to phase, um, you know, nothing's really going to phase Gabe Rosado. So I, I always kind of felt that if if he's a bit worried at any point, Akhmadov, then Rosado will, will take you know, full um, advantage of it. But no, Akhmadov boxed a really good fight, looked really good, um, very impressive. I, s I certainly think he's one to watch in the future. Austin Williams with a win now, 12-0, and 0, a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against the UK's Kieran Conway, now 18-3 and 3 with a draw. It was for the WBA International Middleweight title. Conway down in round nine, scores of 97-92 twice and 96-93. I think fair scorecards really in the end. Um, you know, we always knew what we were going to get from Conway. is extremely, extremely tough. Um, you know, was was never going to get steamrolled. I, I, I always thought that Austin Williams would win on points, and he did. Um, elsewhere on the card, Bam Rodriguez, now 17-0. A unanimous decision over 12 against Israel Gonzalez, who's now 28-5 with a draw. It was a defense there of Rodriguez's WBC World Super Flyweight title. Um, Bam Rodriguez actually deducted a point in round 8 for a low blow. I think he landed about 2 or 3 in that round. Um... Weird fight, really, because we all kind of expected him to maybe blow away Gonzalez, but it was no secret that he didn't really want to fight Gonzalez. Um, and also, he's been extremely active recently, and they're even talking about getting him out once again before the year's up, and he just looked tired. I think they need to kind of just calm down, let the guy relax, don't burn him out so quickly, there's no need to. He's, he's you know, a nailed-on superstar. Um, so yeah, give him a little bit of a break. But anyways, Gonzalez did start fast and he picked up a bunch of the early rounds and Bam did come back into it in the mid rounds. He seemed to get his timing right. Gonzalez was able to frustrate Bam as the rounds went on though. And that is where Bam threw those low blows in that, um, that, that eighth round, as I mentioned, um, 
yeah, so he had a point deducted, like I say, for, for I think it was the second one, which then made him grow quite desperate and made him leave himself open at times to be countered. Um, at that point, I don't think anyone really knew what the scorecards were, because like I say, Gonzalez started well, racked up a bunch of rounds, seemingly, and then Bam Rodriguez loses a 10-8 round, so it was kind of crazy. Um you know, there were a lot of close rounds. There was a lot of rounds in there that was hard to score. And Gonzalez, I think, fought a much better fight than pretty much anyone gave him credit for going in. Um, round 11, Gonzalez went down as well. This was a bit weird. He went down from an apparent low blow again. He goes down. There's no count. So, Kaney Bayless gets him up straight away and makes him carry on. Now, they were saying on the commentary, and they're, they're quite right, if it was a low blow... A point should have been took off of Bam. That's what uh, uh, Gonzalez was on the floor claiming. So if the if the punch was low, he should probably have another point taken off. If it wasn't low, which Kenny Bayless didn't rule it as low, then there should have been a count and he's been knocked down. The replays did show, though, that it was low. Um, so yeah, if, if Bam had that 10-8 round against him again there, um, it, it would have been mad. But yeah. I don't think it even would have mattered in the end because the scorecards were absolutely horrendous. Um, two of them, anyway. Tim Cheatham, 118-109. Max DeLuca, 117-110. And Patricia Morse-Jarman, much more accurate, 114-113. Um, so, yeah, that 118-109 scorecard there from Tim Cheatham has, has, has honestly gone down with... Um, with with you know people are fuming about it and even myself i think that's that's arguably the single worst scorecard i've ever seen in my entire life that was so bad there's no way in the world that i think you could give him um i think i i i i, I worked it out mathematically that would mean that um that uh, bam rodriguez won 11 of the rounds absolutely 11 of the 12 rounds and the other round that gonzalez one or the only round that Gonzalez won in Tim Cheaton's mind was the was the round where Bam had a point deducted. That's the only way you can do it. So literally, he gave Gonzalez that round ten eight, and then he gave the other eleven rounds to Bam Rodriguez. It's it's just criminal, and something needs to be done about this awful judging. But anyway, moving up to the main event, Saul Canelo Alvarez now fifty eight and two with two draws. Gennady Golovkin now 42-2 with a draw. A unanimous decision over 12 there for Saul Canelo Alvarez. Um, I don't know if he was already undisputed. I really can't remember. I think he was. But yeah, it was for the IBF, WBA, WBO and WBC super middleweight world titles. Um, round one, a Canelo round. It was just a feel-out round. Um, I haven't actually totaled up my scorecard. This will be interesting. Round two, a Canelo round. Golovkin was being beaten to the punch. Um, no one was really going too hard at that point. Golovkin clearly, after just two rounds, seemed to be the much slower fighter, the much more flat-footed fighter. Round three, Canelo, I felt, was starting to open up a bit more. Golovkin was being backed up, which is a rare sight, really. Golovkin, at times, was just plodding forward, walking into punches, not jabbing his way in, looking really, really flat-footed. And it was an easy fight to score. It was all Canelo through the first three. Round four, I felt that... Um, Golovkin continued to look bad. He looked really rusty. He looked really old. It was one-way traffic. Um, he looked less than a shell of his former self. Canelo, once again, in full control, really easily 
as well. He didn't seem like he had to do much to win a round. Round five, once again, Canelo opening up on Triple G. Triple G already, I felt, needed to win every round from this point onwards to, to, to win on the cards. And obviously, we know that going to the cards against Canelo hasn't proved successful for him in the past. I was dumbfounded by his approach and his game plan. Um, it was almost as if he'd bet on himself to lose on points. Round six was a close round. I wasn't sure if I was being a little bit sympathetic towards towards Golovkin, but he did let his hands go a little bit more. He landed a nice uppercut um, under the guard of Canelo at one point. Close round, though. Round seven I gave to Canelo. Round eight I gave to Canelo, but Triple G was coming out his shell a bit more. He threw one of his trademark... I want to say downer cut, Eddie, because he, he likes to throw those kind of uh, shots that come down on top of your head. But still, Triple G was extremely hesitant, and it was a little bit sad to watch. Round 9, finally, Triple G seemed to wake up. He was backing up Canelo for the first time in the fight. He had him on the ropes at times. He was still a little bit hesitant to overcommit. There wasn't enough urgency either because he did need a knockout in my book. Um, I did give him, though, that that, that, that ninth round. Uh, round 10 was very close. I felt Triple G was still kind of fighting um, or trying to fight like, a, you know, a version of himself from about eight years ago. But he just didn't he just didn't have it. He couldn't put it all together like he once was able to. Round 11 was a close round, probably a Triple G round. And then round 12, the final round, another close one. Um which I didn't really score. So again, my scoring wasn't strict as as such. Um, I'll have a little look back for it when you're talking about the fight, Eddie. But it goes the distance again. No knockdowns again. 36 rounds the pair have now shared. Uh, you could almost double your money if you bet that there wouldn't be a single knockdown. I did bet on that. I couldn't believe the price of that bet there. Neither man had ever really um, hurt one another, I didn't think. Um, obviously, neither man had ever been down as well. Um, I think Gennady Golovkin has progressively got worse each fight that he's had with, with Canelo. Like I say, the first one I thought he won. The second one I felt was a draw. This one was clearly um, won by Canelo. No argument. It's the only fight of the three that he's definitively won clear. And yeah, that four-year gap since the last fight was just far too long for Triple G. Canelo has progressed. Triple G has digressed. It doesn't mean he wasn't um, one of the best fighters of his era. I think he was, and he is, uh, Golovkin. But, yeah, I felt that could be the end of the road for him. Obviously, he, talk, he, he talks about going back down to 160. still holds um, world titles there. Um, you know, some people want to see him carry on. Some people don't. I don't want to see him lose to someone that he would have probably knocked out in a couple of rounds a few years ago. I don't think he should go on for much longer. He is 40 years of age. Um and yeah, you can you can really see it in recent times, you know. Canelo's still a bad mother bleep. Um, was it an all-time great trilogy, the three fights? I'm not entirely sure. I think the first two fights might have put it in the conversation because of the skill level on display. Uh, it, was, it was out of this world in the first two fights, but this third fight was a bit of a letdown, really. Um, of course, I didn't buy the pay-per-view. It was quite a bad card all in all. You know, as far as pay-per-view cards, pay-per-view undercards go, but yeah, really weird to see the scorecards really close as well. I think on the scorecards it was the closest fight of the three, which is absolutely absurd. But anyways, what did you make of it, Eddie, and the entire card? Yeah, thanks, Joe. I'm, I'm, I think I've seen, I've seen the majority. I'll say the best, the majority of the Bam Rodriguez fight, but then again, I can't say that because the the reception was so bad that. 
it would literally go in and out, literally two or three maybe punches, and then every once in a while I might get like half of a round or something. But it looked exactly as you said with Bam Rodriguez, that you didn't know what the heck was going on. You didn't really know who was winning. You know, Bam was doing some good things. He showed, you know, his ability. But this guy came to fight. He wasn't gonna. He wasn't laying down. He wasn't gonna make it easy. He, he was. He did some crafty things himself. Landed some good counter shots. Um, and uh, you know, but, but Bam, you know, he did what his normal thing is. He did a couple, couple nice things. More than a couple nice things. But I really can't really give a definitive uh, thought on the scorecard, even though I did see it was wide. The one thing I can say that I didn't see a wide scorecard with that fight either. I thought that fight was a lot closer. Dare I say he was in danger of possibly not necessarily losing, but maybe, you know, could be a draw. Who knows? You know what I mean? Because I didn't see enough of it. But from what I saw, the guy was doing really, really well. Um, and going into the Triple G fight, scorecards were ridiculous. You know what I mean? When I, when I, when I actually heard the score, because I didn't even hear the scores at the moment of the decision, because like I said, the reception was so bad where I was at. Um, but when I heard them, and I, you know, I, I read what it was. I said, "How in the world?" Because even from the little bit of, of, you know, each round I was able to see, it was just like in the early part, in the early go of it, Triple G wasn't really—he wasn't throwing many punches. He wasn't really accurate, or you know, he wasn't—he wasn't active. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't doing the things that he, you know, even if you know he was throwing one punch at a time kind of thing, you you, you would see him plodding forward more so than going backwards. But this was something completely different. I don't know what his plan was in this fight, but it wasn't working. <clears throat> and Canelo, obviously, generally picks his shots. He'll throw bombs in there, here and there, but it looked like he had Triple G on the back foot of a lot more than he's ever been. And that just, you know, that's just not a way for him to fight. He's, you know, from what we're used to seeing, I mean, of course, he's a little older. His time is not what it used to be. So he has to kind of take maybe a little bit, a few steps back to kind of make sure he can see what's coming. But Man, it was it was it was just different to see it. Even though I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't see every aspect of it and, and, and everything that went on in the round. It just didn't look like he was doing what we needed, what he needed to do in order to win the fight. It's tough going a decision with Canelo when you don't have enough uh, enough rounds in the bank. You know what I mean? But um, once, like you said, going into it, I think it was a ninth. I think it was a ninth round that I seen where he looked like he kind of I don't want to say hurt Canelo, but he definitely. He definitely put him on the back foot and had him thinking a little bit. Uh, he was being a little busier. He was, he was, he was, uh, you know, showing the Triple G of old a little. Not necessarily what we, you know, where where Canelo was moving the whole round and, and in fear of getting caught and knocked out. But he did have him in a place where he could capitalize and probably won the round for him. But I just, it, it just, it just, it just doesn't look like he's. I don't think he'll get back to that level. You know what I mean? I figured he would try to do it to raise his level that he's been fighting at, you know, in the last few fights. He didn't really look as, you know, triple G like as he used to. So, um, but I figured with this fight and how important it is and the fact that it's the, you know, the final fight in the trilogy and to show people that he's still, you know, who he once was, he would be able to step it up more. But I just don't think he can anymore. You know what I mean? And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Father Time is undefeated. Triple G, just like any other all-time great, is going to have to face the fact that once you get to a certain age, your body starts to lose that testosterone. He starts to deteriorate. 
and, and you're not able to keep the level that you used to when you were in your, you know, early 30s and 20s and all of that. So, you know, he did what he could. He tried to see show flashes, but it's just it's just not wasn't in the cards for him. And I don't think he'll get back to that level in the future. What I would like to see with Triple G going forward is I would just say, hey, man, you know, get your farewell tour. Get a nice little comfortable fight, a fight that is winnable. Maybe a fight that you can kind of look like you used to to kind of give the fans what they what they remember from you. You know, I mean, maybe one or two of those, and then you just gracefully bow out. I think you go out a winner, and and and, and you know, solidify yourself as a Hall of Fame. But any any more than that, trying to go and fight these young lions is at this point, it's just not worth it for me. I, I perform. I just think he needs to he needs to start to go go down a bit and bow out soon. Yeah, well said, Eddie. And just to reiterate my scoring, I did have time there just to kind of look at it once again. I gave the first five rounds to Canelo. The sixth round, I felt, was a close round. Um, Round seven, Canelo. Round eight, Canelo. Round nine, I gave to Triple G. Um, Round 10 was a close one. Round 11 was close, but I gave it to Triple G. And then round 12, I felt, was a close one. So all in all, I think that's like 7-3 for Canelo and then two um, close ones, which could have gone either way. So I guess if you if you gave both to Golovkin, then you could have a 115-113 scorecard. But yeah, just overall, looking at the fight as a whole, it didn't look like he came close to... Um, to you know to to those kind of scorecards that we did see in the end from two of the three judges but anyway that brings the review part to a close that is all for part one we've done a hell of a lot of speaking the final thing for me to do to wrap up this part is to welcome this week's special guest ladies and gentlemen please welcome the undefeated female featherweight contender it is of course miss sky nicholson sky welcome to the show Thank you for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure, Sky. So it's the first time you've been on this podcast, so welcome once again. I am truly a fan of women's boxing. It's, it's always great to get a female fighter on the show. I've watched all of your pro fights, so I'm really looking forward to getting into this. Um, awesome. Excellent, yeah. So so you made your, 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 your pro debut back in March, obviously, in San Diego against the undefeated Mexican, Jessica Juarez. You won unanimously over six. Tell me what you recall of your debut. It seems like it's gone so fast. <laughs> it has definitely gone fast. Uh, it was it was a really special moment for me, actually. It was uh, obviously my debut, but also uh, my US debut as well. Um, she was a hometown girl in San Diego and uh, South Poor, so it was definitely not the kind of debut most people go for, but I absolutely had a ball. I was so happy that my parents could be there to watch it. And, um, yeah, obviously won every round, so that was nice too. But, um, no, it was, it was the start of a very special journey, so it's a very special memory for me. Yeah, and like I say, I think everyone that was, was watching the fight, um, especially in the UK, staying up early hours, I think myself included, we all kind of thought, okay, this, this could be a lady that has a bright future. I think you've proved it every <laughs> time since then. Um, you were out just three weeks later in Leeds, obviously, taking on Beck Connolly, who you also beat over six rounds. Um, Beck Connolly, ever so tough, really nice lady, but obviously quite limited in her skill set. Tell me about that, that win for you, Sky. Yeah, so for me, that wasn't really a fight that I was interested in having. I, I did want to stay active and I wanted to fight and I really wanted to fight in the UK. 
uh, but obviously it was quite short notice and a short turnaround. So the options for opponents were quite limited, especially to get someone with a, a decent record, obviously on a few weeks notice. So um, I took what I could and, and I used it as a learning fight. I tried to adapt and change my style a little bit and, and do things a little bit differently from the first fight. And I, I felt like I did that. I'm, I'm obviously I'm very new to the game, um, the pro scene anyway, and I'm working with a, a brand new team. We'd only been together six weeks before my debut. So no, it was, it was good. It was a good learning fight for me, I think. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that, that, that extra, that extra fight that I got to have. Cause obviously um, not many people fight back to back uh, three weeks after their debut and go again. So I was grateful for the opportunity and to box in front of a, a very energetic and loud crowd. Yeah, absolutely. Especially as you say, fighting twice in three weeks from your debut to your second <laughs> fight um, on on both sides of the Atlantic. Of course, um, five weeks <laughs> after that, you're back in the states. This time, the big one. You're fighting, obviously, at the world famous Madison Square Garden on that Taylor Serrano undercard. What a fight card to be a part of! Another six round unanimous decision win this time over Shaniqua Davis. You had her down with a beautiful one two in the final round. I bet you wish that was a three minute round. <laughs> Oh, I know. I, I at least wished it was an eight rounder because I felt like I did take a while to warm up. I'm not sure if it was, um, I guess the the whole kind of experience and and the 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 night that I was fighting on the the history kind of making night for women's boxing, but um, maybe a little bit of a slow start. And I I really wished it was it was eight rounds when I put it down at the end of the six because I didn't need too much longer. I think, but. Um, again, another really good learning experience. Obviously, um, a great memory to be boxing on um, such a history-making night and uh, and being a part of that history. Yeah, for sure. And then, of course, your most recent fight, which was now just over three months ago in Wales, in Cardiff, on that Ogawa Cordina undercard. You stepped up to eight rounds. You picked up a points win over Gabriela Bouvier. Um, tell me about that one briefly as well. It was obviously good to bank another bunch of rounds. Yeah, um, a really good experience again. Um, obviously, getting an eight rounder in, I'd only been pro for, what, three months or something at the time. So, um, no, I was happy with that. She was a former world champion, um, a winning record, and an experienced seasoned pro. So, um, no, really good rounds to bank. I feel like those those first four fights off the cuff were were um, like really good learning months for me, and I felt like it really helped me grow as a, a boxer and an athlete. And Sky, tell me, and for people that don't know as well, how did your move to the UK even come about? I mean, how did you end up at the iBox gym of all places training under Eddie Lamb? Um, it was all a bit random, really. I I, I, got, I came back from the Olympics and um, turning pro really wasn't ever on my radar. I, I, I hadn't written it off completely, but it wasn't really something I was considering or in a rush to do. Um, it's always been about the Olympic gold medal for me and obviously just falling short of a medal in Tokyo. Like I basically had my sights set straight on Paris 2024. Um, but obviously had some promoters, managers all start reaching out after the Olympics and um, a conversation with Eddie Hearn kind of got me quite excited about the, program, the pro game, about women's boxing, about where it's at right now and um, his vision for my career and what... Um, Matchroom could kind of offer for me, and it was quite exciting. And I felt like 
maybe things were getting a bit stale for me in the amateurs and I needed something new and exciting. And um, the Australian team actually had a training camp in the UK a couple of months after that, that Zoom call. Um, so I actually, yeah, it all kind of happened then. At the end of last year, I was over here in the UK for um, a training camp, an amateur boxing training camp. And I met my manager, Paul Reddy. I met Eddie Hearn. I signed with Matchroom. I met Eddie Lamb um, through my manager. And yeah, just the first time I was in the iBox gym, I just clicked with everyone. I felt like this is, this is where I wanted to be. This is where I needed to be for my boxing. And um, yeah, just kind of then and there, that was in November, decided to, to make the move and, and, and make it happen. And yeah, fast forward to January, I moved here. And uh, I, I had about six weeks training with, with my new team um, in a new country on the other side of the world and, and went over to the US and, and won my debut. <laughs> it's it's really cool and 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 um you know interesting to listen to that because obviously I'm from the UK and even myself when I was on my way to the iBox gym a few weeks ago I must have gone up and down that road about ten times looking for it so I wondered how you <laughs> found it but um that's that's incredibly cool <laughs> um, a very little random corner of the world exactly, in yes, exactly. <laughs> but um, no I was I was at the gym a few weeks ago watching um, Archie Spar and you know I got talking to. Eddie Lamb as well, really nice guy, of course. Um, let's yeah. talk about your upcoming fight. It's set for October 15th back home, I guess, in Australia. Um, your first pro fight, like I say, back home, so to speak. This will mark five fights in three countries all within eight months. Um, you'll be stepping up to 10 rounds for the first time. You'll be boxing for the Commonwealth featherweight title against Christina Jacobs. Before we get into the fight itself... Tell me what it will mean for you to pick up this title, the Commonwealth title. Obviously, you won a Commonwealth Games gold medal as an amateur. Your late brother also, of course, medaled at the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about this. Obviously, we're calling this one the homecoming. It's my first pro fight back home in Australia. So my very supportive, loyal Australian fans are going to get to see me fight live. So I'm very excited about that. Um, it's an all Aussie clash against a good opponent. She's coming to win that fight. She's She's had this fight locked in. We've had the opponent locked in since about June. So she's she's had a full preparation in camp as well. And I'm expecting a really, really good fight. Uh, obviously, to win the Commonwealth title back home in front of a home crowd, probably a lot of the same crowd that was there to witness me win the gold medal on the Gold Coast in 2018. It's going to be a very, very special occasion. I can't wait. No, it sounds exciting, absolutely. Um, Christina, quite experienced, I guess. Not had too many fights, but she's done almost double the rounds you've done um, as a pro. Um, will we see a different, a different kind of Sky Nicholson this time? Obviously, we've seen <laughs> we've seen you show kind of a lot of different looks, a lot of different moves. Your your feet are incredible. We've seen how you can move around the ring. Are we going to see something a bit different because it's back home? Is there some kind of urgency to do something maybe go the extra mile maybe get your first stoppage mm. um yeah I feel like obviously I've been back in camp for about 12 weeks now we're still we're still just under four weeks out so it's been a long camp but it's been great we've actually got to slow things down and really work on new things um we've definitely changed my style a little bit I'm sitting down on my punches a lot more I've done an amazing strength and conditioning camp I feel in the best shape of my life still four weeks out now and um, I really, really want to show that in this fight. Um, I've been having some amazing spars 
my engine is unbelievable and I, I just feel like we're just going to see whole new levels in this fight and I'm very, very excited to be able to do that back home. Excellent, excellent. And women's boxing as a whole right now is probably on fire more than ever. Um, how happy are you to be a part of it right now while it's hot? And also, who are some of your personal favourite female fighters right now, Sky? Oh, it's amazing to be a part of it. I feel like um, such a big honour but responsibility to be a role model for that next generation of girls coming through to keep growing the sport, um, to keep seeing that depth and the improvement, like the skill level and um, that we're seeing now in women's boxing is unbelievable compared to 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, I think the women's fights are stealing the show a lot a lot of the time these days, like, um, and it's really, really exciting. So I'm, I'm very, very, very happy and, and proud to be a part of the movement and, and the growth of women's boxing. Um, yeah, I think probably my, my favourite fighter, female fighter would be Katie Taylor. Um, she's obviously the generation before me. Um, so when I was 12, 13, 14, she was the star that I was looking up to. And, and even now still as a pro, she's the star that the girls are looking up to. So um, it's been a long time for me that she's been a great role model in the sport of boxing, but also as a person outside of the ring. Um, you can't really fault her, and she's uh, yeah, she's an icon for women's boxing. Yeah, well said, well said, absolutely. And a little bit of a controversial question in some ways, but your fellow Aussie female boxer, Ebony Bridges, certainly seems to divide opinion. In your opinion, Sky, is she good or bad for boxing itself? <laughs> I don't think she's bad for boxing at all. Um, I think she's she's using boxing um, to express herself. She's she's actually a really smart businesswoman, what she's doing. Um, and I think if you're doing the hard work, you're getting in there, you're having entertaining fights, you're winning world titles. So what if she wants to wear what she wears on the scales? Um, I think everyone can do what they want to do. And if that's how, like, if that's what she wears and that's what she wants to do. And um, she's definitely got lots of extra fans from it. So uh, good on her, I guess, uh, to their own, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I think at first everyone kind of, uh, you know, looked upon her a little bit negatively. Then we saw her fighting style. Then we were like, hey, she doesn't mind a war. She is quite exciting. Then now she's got a world title. So I think little by little, everyone's starting to say, hey, She's actually, you know, a good boxer. She's not just um, something to yeah. look at, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And if, if you see the improvements she's made, she's she's moved herself to, to the other side of the world to train in the UK as well now. Yeah. Um, and you can see in her fights the improvements she's made. She's working hard. Um, she, she's putting in the hours in the gym and, and she's reaping the rewards for it. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think you can say she's bad for boxing at all. She's getting eyes on the sport and she's winning world titles. So... Um, yeah, hats off to her. <laughs> hats off to her. And just finally, Sky, before I let you go, if you've got any closing words at all, just for the listeners or to anyone uh, that may listen to this, I want to just kind of throw the microphone over to you, so to speak, if you want to sign out with any message at all. The floor's <laughs> yours, Sky. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for all the support. Tune in live on DAZN around the world, Saturday the 15th of October, my first title fight. Uh, it's definitely not going to be one to miss.
Absolutely, and I second that. Sky, listen, it's been a real delight and a pleasure speaking with you this week. Thank you for your time. Best of luck for October 15th down under. We'll speak again soon, I'm sure. Thanks, Joey. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. The date has been officially confirmed. We're going to see the rescheduled date for Shields Marshall. Uh, It's going to be October 15th, like we uh, thought originally when it got moved forward, but it's officially been locked in now, October the 15th at the O2 in London. Still some tickets on sale for as little as £25 each. And also, if you are a ticket holder, you have tickets from the original date, those tickets are still valid for this for this, uh, for this this new date. So you can bring that ticket along and, of course, gain access to the venue. It's going to be a fantastic night of boxing, all women card, of course, and every single fight on the card is still intact. So we haven't lost any fights. It's still going ahead as it was supposed to, of course. Um, okay, that's it for that piece of news what else do we have what else do we have uh this one as well it was it was announced just yesterday katie taylor will be defending her undisputed lightweight world titles against karen carbohow that one's going to be going down on october 29th at the wembley arena in london it's going to be live on the zone of course um this will unfortunately clash with uh sky sports they have a show that night it's going to be um uh, Huey Fury and Michael Hunter, so this one should clash with that one. Um, but yeah, on the undercard, we're going to see Jordan Gill getting in with Kiko Martinez. We're going to see Gary Cully on the undercard. We're going to see uh, the Romford Ball, Johnny Fisher, and also we're going to see uh, Kevin Agyarko getting in with uh, someone as well. I can't remember who he's fighting. Um, so yeah, should be a decent night of boxing there at the Wembley Arena, October 29th, once again, live on the zone. That is it, though, for the news part of the show. Moving on now to the preview part. We're going to start here with this one. It goes down tomorrow night at the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey, USA, live on ESPN. On the undercard, we have Keyshawn Davis, one of the one of the brightest prospects really in world boxing. 5-0, and getting in with Omar Behina, who's 25-5. and That's over eight rounds there. We've also got Henry LeBron, 16-0, and in an eight-rounder at Super Featherweight against Andy Vences, who's 23-3 and with a draw. But the main event, Shakur Stevenson defending his WBC and WBO World Super Featherweight titles against Robson Concessão of Brazil, who's 17-1. and He still has that controversial loss to Oscar Valdez, who, of course, Shakur Stevenson um, beat up quite bad. I think that was his last fight, if I'm not mistaken. Shakur Stevenson now, of course, a father. Um, Yeah, I'm loving what he's been posting on Instagram. Seems like uh, really loved up and stuff like that. Obviously, friend of the show, Shakur Stevenson. Be fantastic to see him stepping in the ring here with Contes out. I want to see how much the prices for Shakur Stevenson to win that one on points, actually, because I don't see him stopping Contessel. Um Let me just have a little look, actually, while I'm here. Uh, Shakur Stevenson to win the fight on points is 8-15. to 15. So, okay, that's that's interesting. Um, moving out now to the Sibor Arena in St. Petersburg, Russia. Over here, this one is on Saturday. We're going to see former world champion Fedor Chudinov, 25-3 and three with a draw, getting in with Farouk Jureyev, who's 7-7 seven and seven with a draw. That's over 10 rounds at super middle. We also have Sergei Kuzmin, 17-2, and two, getting in with Tian Fick, who is 9-1. and one. That's over 10 rounds. Moving out now to the Manchester Arena. 
Arena in Lancashire, United Kingdom. It's going to be live on BT Sport pay-per-view. Pay-per-view this Saturday. We're going to see Echo Esserman, 17-0, getting in with Samuel Antwi, who's 14-1. That's a good fight there for the British and Commonwealth welterweight titles. We're also going to see Michael Magnessi, who's 21-0, getting in with Anthony Kakachi. It's a good, good opportunity, really, here for Anthony Kakachi. Um... It's for the IBO World Super Featherweight title, Kakachi 19-1. Um, haven't seen him fight since he beat Leon Woodstock. That was over a year ago now. I think he got messed around on, I think it was the Fury White undercard. I think he was supposed to be on that one, and his opponent pulled out, and yeah, so he's been quite inactive, and he gets in with Magnesi, like I say, the Italian fighter who boxed in April this year. Um... By all accounts, he's not a he's not a bad fighter, so it uh, should be a good fight there. Um, on the undercard, also we have Nathan Heaney, the crowd favourite, fifteen and zero, fighting here against Jack Flatley, who's nineteen and two with a draw. That's a good good fight, by the way. I really like that fight. That is a good good fight over ten rounds for the IBO International Middleweight Title. We also have Mark Heffron, fresh off his win not too long ago. I was at it when he beat. Um, Oh, man, when he beat um, the guy that knocked out Willie Hutchinson. Oh, man, so terrible with my memory. He beat, oh, God, I was at the damn fight. Um, uh, Lennox Clark, he beat Lennox Clark, knocked him out. So he's on this card. He gets in with Martin Bulasio, who's 10-6. and six. That's over eight rounds there. Um, what else do we have on the card? We have the IBF. IBO, WBC, and WBO World Featherweight Female Champion, Amanda Serrano on the undercard. 42-2 and with a draw, making her UK debut against the undefeated 11-0, and Sarah Mafood. That's going to be great. I really wish I could be at this card. I was debating about going there. Obviously, I live in London. It's quite the, quite the trek. Um, and it just wasn't really feasible this weekend. But, you know, I'll be watching it. But I would have loved to have been there pretty much to see Amanda Serrano fight in person. But, of course, you know, I like the main event, which we're going to get on to now. Joe Joyce, 14-0. He's been training in Vegas. He fights here for the interim vacant WBO heavyweight world title against Joseph Parker. 30-2. It's over 12 rounds. It's a really, really interesting fight, actually, because... I think we've said it before already, even though Joe Joyce is a big old unit and he can fight at range, he does like to get on the inside and mix it up. Um, I guess he's quite a decent fighter, really, on the inside. But the inside fighting in this fight, I think, is Joseph Parker's game. And Joe Joyce seems to get on the inside with pretty much everyone he fights. And he takes risks in the pocket. And we've seen him hit with bombs as well. He's got a fantastic chin, thank God. But... I don't think he can be too reckless against Joseph Parker, who has obviously moved to Morecambe, and you know he's been training with Tyson Fury every single day, and you yourself know what an influence he can have on your career, and it seems like Joseph Parker under Andy Lee now seems to be a fighter that's almost born again, almost uh, you know rejuvenated. He seems like he's got a new lease of life going. Um, how do you see the fight playing out? Because I think that's a really interesting thing there for Joseph Parker. Yeah, facts. I, I really, really, really do think. I honestly, I, 
this is no disrespect to him. I think he, he gets the job done, but I've never been a huge fan of what Joe's Joyce looks like. You know, it's not necessarily aesthetically pleasing to me. Maybe it's just me. Um, but he gets the job done. Yeah, typically he's more of an inside guy. But um, and, and he's been in there with a few fighters, like, you know, with um, uh, now a champion, I think, of the WBA. Uh, what's my man's name? Dubois. Dubois, Daniel Dubois, right? I think he's, you know, he's been in guys like that who are powerful and strong, but yet lack certain levels of experience and not really, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's been in there with guys with experience as well. Uh, maybe a little past it, but still with experience, but not to the magnitude of somebody who's in their prime, like a, like a Joe Parker, who's, you know, right now his calling card, especially in a fight with Joe Joyce would be on the inside. Seems to be a bit sharp, a, a good bit sharper, a little, you know, a, a good bit faster, you know, to the punch, uh, understands, uh, uh, you know, what it takes to win and been a champion before. It's, I feel like this is really going to be a true, true test for Joe Joyce. It's going to be something like, you know, a lot of people will look at him and, and well, you know, maybe let's just say me, look at him and say, man, sometimes I just don't understand how he wins these fights and blah, blah, blah. But he does it. And this one is going to be one that's going to really say, damn, you know, if he, if he can win this fight and say if he's able to stop him, that would be a really, really big, big step forward for him. And then I think he would be on deck for a world title. You know what I mean? There's no doubt about it. But I think, you know, in his step with, with uh, Joe Parker being up there with Tyson, trust me, I'm going to tell you, and I know he's experiencing some of the toughest sparring you'll ever have if he's working with Tyson in that in a, in a camp setting right now, um, it, it, it's it's really difficult. I mean, I can I mean, I can only explain it from my end. I, I'm obviously not Joe Parker, so I don't know what the what the feel is for him. But it's an extremely tough thing to deal with because he can come forward, he can move. You know what I mean? He you know he boxes from the outside. He also like I said, comes from the inside. He got super long arms. You know what I mean? That he can fight you with from outside, and, or he can get close and still be able to land body shot. It's just is un is is it's a really difficult thing. So if he's able to work with that kind of guy in camp to prepare for what he's going to face in, in Joe, Joe Joyce, I think it's going to be, I think I would give the edge to Parker having that kind of camp. I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't know if he's actually sparring with Tyson. I mean, I don't know if Tyson, you know, helping him out with this or not, but uh, if he is, it's a definitely a leg up on the competition for sure to be, to have one of the top, uh, fighters in the world, maybe one of the top fighters of, of all time in the heavyweight division, uh, is helping you out in camp. So, um, Andy, obviously, and like you said, Joe, Joe Parker has been looking a lot better recently with Andy Lee at the helm. You know, Andy Lee was a, was a was a really really good fighter, top level guy, uh, crafty, smart. You know, obviously, you know that's that's going to help him in this fight as well. But I don't want to, you know overshadow Joe Joyce like he's not the, the guy that's fresher and you know got got it like he doesn't have a huge upside in this situation because he does um you know maybe aesthetically he might not be the best look but neither was George Foreman and look what George Foreman did in his career so it's a fight I'm excited about seeing you know what I mean whether I like the look of one of the fighters or not I mean style wise not the physical look <laughs> uh but um I'm still very excited about it it means a lot for the heavyweight division Going forward, uh, I think Joe Joyce is a good ambassador as well as Joe Parker, you know, for the sport. Uh, there's, 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 uh, 
disdain but respect between the two. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't think they hate each other, but it's just, you know, one guy's in your way, so you got to knock him out the way. So, uh, but it's an exciting time, and, you know, it's an exciting uh, 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 fight for this division. So, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, what, what both guys are going to do tonight in the fight. Yeah, I have to say I'm looking forward to it as well. I really am. I'm really excited about the main event and the Amanda Serrano fight, of course. But, yeah, the main event, I mean, you know, Joseph Parker's been on this podcast many times, many, many times. Really, 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 really good guy. I've got a hell of a lot of time for Joseph Parker. Um, and we get quite honest when we're when we're talking, you know, on, on the interview and also when the interview's finished, we, we, we talk quite honestly. And I've said it, I think, in interviews on this podcast in the past to him. I've said, look, when you boxed Alex Leopard, you looked you looked quite quite awful to be honest. When you boxed Sean Dell Winters, you didn't look very good. The Junior Far um, performance wasn't a good one. The first fight against Chisora when you were down in the first round. I mean, what happened in the, in in those fights there? And obviously, he was quite quick to say that things were getting very stale with Kevin Barry, his former trainer. When he's linked up with um, Andy Lee, obviously. Um, I'm not sure when exactly they did link up, when, when they did exactly link up, but obviously um, he had the rematch with Derek Chisora and was fantastic in that second fight against Chisora. That was really the best performance he'd had in about four years or something. So his last few performances prior to that last Chisora one were very unconvincing. And as for Joe Joyce, I mean, we still have to... Look at that record, 14-0, 13 KOs, and the only man to take him the distance being Bryant Jennings back in 2019. Um, since then, obviously, he, he knocked out Michael Wallish. I think that was the one where there was no crowd for COVID. And then he got in with Daniel Dubois, probably the best performance of his career. He was brilliant. After that, he did get Carlos Takam out of there in six rounds, but there was a few shaky moments. After that... This was his last fight. He boxed Christian Hammer. That one was at the Wembley Arena back in July. I was there. I was sat in the very front row. And he was walking into numerous massive shots from Christian Hammer. The only thing is, Christian Hammer, I don't think, was a big enough puncher to really trouble him. And as I said earlier, he's got this crazy chin. Um, so, yeah, I think if he makes mistakes like that against Joseph Parker or allows Joseph Parker to walk in and obviously you know, fight on the inside and make it rough and stuff like that, I think that's going to work against him. Having said that, I think if Joe's, if not Joseph Parker, if Joe Joyce sees you as a threat and really believes that you can cause him trouble, like he did against Daniel Dubois, I think he can perform a lot better. I think he's a guy really that has to have a little bit of fear in him for you, for him to be at you know at his best, and that's what we saw against. Um, against Daniel Dubois, and that's what we've seen in glimpses in other fights and stuff like that. Um, I think he will look at Joseph Parker and respect him much more than he's respected a lot of his other opponents. Um, but we're going to have to wait and see what version of Joe Parker turns up because he does seem to be a very happy fighter. And as the saying goes, a happy fighter is a dangerous fighter. All the best to both men there. Moving out to the final card to mention, it takes place on the same night. Unfortunately, unfortunately it clashes with the... Uh, BT Sport pay-per-view card. This one's going to be on the zone. It's going to completely clash. Um, it was supposed to be Lee Wood against um, what's that guy's name again? Oh my goodness! 
Oh, anyway, Lee Wood's off the card, but the fight still goes down in Nottingham. Uh, the fight card itself without the Lee Wood and Maurizio Lara fight. That was that was the guy's name. So, yeah, the undercard still goes ahead. We're going to see... It's a bit of a kind of... It's not a great card, really, but we're going to see Chev Clark 2-0 getting in with Marcos Karolitsky, who's 7-5 with two draws. We're going to see Solomon Dakers 4-0 getting in with Dominic Akinlade, who's 9-3 with a draw. That's over 10 rounds there. Uh, we've also got Cyrus Patterson. Um, this one's for the IBO Continental Welterweight title. He... He's 4-0. He gets in with Joe Rick Luisetto, who's 12-4. We're going to see Hannah Rankin, 12-5, getting in with Terry Harper, who's 12-1 with a draw. That one for the IBO and WBA World Super Welterweight titles. Um, I really thought that that fight was going to be at welterweight. I really, really did. Um, okay, so it's it's yeah, it's going to be at 154, apparently. Because I thought, well, 147, it'll probably suit Terry Harper a bit more. It says here it's going to be at Super Welter. So if it's at 154, then I would say Hannah Rankin's going to be at her um, at her best weight, really, for the fight. She's 12-5. and five. Um, Terry Harper moved up several weights then, I'm guessing, to make this fight. Um, only had, I think, one fight since being knocked out by Baumgardner off the top of my head. I think that is is some serious value in Hannah Rankin winning that fight. I think that really could be the case. Um, she's a massive underdog, if I'm not mistaken. That's over 10 two-minute rounds there. Hannah Rankin, if nothing else, is quite tough and quite strong, and she'll have the size. Um, and the main event as well, Maxi Hughes, 25-5, and five, with two draws, getting in with friend of the show, Kid Galahad, 28-2. and two. Hasn't been on the show for years now, Kid Galahad, but in that time, he's become a world champion and lost the title. And it's for the IBO World Lightweight title, over 12 rounds. Um, I guess it's a weight, really, that's better suited to Maxi Hughes naturally. And obviously, Kid Galahad has, has had to move up here from... Um, what was he at? He was at um, featherweight, so he's moved up here two weight classes to lightweight, so from 126 to 135. But it's going to be just interesting to see what Galahad has left, because he was knocked out brutally by Kiko Martinez in November, and this is his first fight back. Um, if, if he is what he was, if that makes any sense, then he should be far too much for Maxi Hughes, because he's a much better fighter all round than Maxi Hughes. But Maxi Hughes being really the true lightweight, um, you know, being in some fantastic form as well, hasn't lost a fight for almost four years now. He's on a heck of a run, obviously beating the likes of John O'Carroll, Giovanni Straffon, Ryan Walsh, Paul Highland Jr. He's in such fantastic form. So it's at the best time for him, and it's at the worst time for Kid Galahad, and it's at the best weight for Maxi Hughes, and perhaps not the best weight for Kid Galahad. So there's a lot of tangibles here, and I'm really, really excited to see how it's going to play out. But we shall see. It's going to be an absolute cracker. But anyway, that is the preview part finished. In part one, we did the review part. Then we welcomed our special guest. In part two, we did the news part, and I've just wrapped it up with the preview part. The final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds.
Okay, and this wraps up episode 362 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge thank you to our special guest this week, the undefeated female featherweight contender, Sky Nicholson. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. There has been just one piece of news break whilst we've been recording the show, and that is that the undercard has been announced for Chris Eubank Jr. against Connor Ben. On the undercard, we're going to see Galau Yafai defending his W. BC International Flyweight title against Gohan Garcia. We're going to see Lyndon Arthur back out again, even though he fought on the weekend. Uh, we're also going to see Felix Cash getting in with the undefeated Connor Coyle. We're going to see Harlem Eubank getting in with the undefeated Spaniard David Martin. We're going to see Ellie Scottney getting in with Mary Romero for the European Super Bantamweight title. We're also going to see return to the ring for Shannon Courtney, who's been out for about a year. She gets in with uh, she gets in with Gemma Rugg. But yeah, that's about it really for that undercard. That's the main names at least. Remember that one goes down in London on October the 8th. But yeah, that's about everything from myself. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe and we shall see you this time again next week.